I am interested. Of course, I'm always interested in what Kiss is doing or any of these, any of my favorite bands, right? But yeah, the big interview with Dan Rather talking to Paul Stanley, that should be interesting. Um, you know, we use that word a lot, don't we? Interesting on this show. Well, it's just an interesting word. But uh, yeah, Paul Stanley is going to do the big interview. Dan Rather, it's such a surprise, you know? I mean, it's a pleasant surprise. It's great. But, um, you know, Dan Rather doing rock and roll, ta- he did what? He talked to the members of Styx on this season, I think, of that show. Uh, who else? Sammy Hagar, he did a while back. You know what's funny? Um, I, my big moment, my when I met Dan Rather, my big, here I am, a news guy, watched all the networks, I mean, Brokaw, Jennings, I love, Jennings was always my favorite. I never told uh, Dan Rather that, though. But all these guys, you know, Dan Rather was part of the, you know, the those, the three kings of, of network news at 6.30, right? So, I see him at the Democratic National Convention. I'm covering it for uh, work in, in Philly. And I see um, I see Dan Rather, and I go over and say hello. Super nice guy. You know, chatted a little bit. Took a photo with him. He was really, really nice. And, and the one thing I ask him about, I mean, all of the interviews he's done, he's traveled the world, all the things, you know, his clash with Vice President Bush in the 80s, uh, dealing with, uh, you know, the Iran-Contra thing. Um, you know, the Bush memo and everything that unfortunately kind of hastened the end of his time at CBS News. And what do I ask him about? What it was like riding in Sammy Hagar's million, $1 million, $1.1 million uh, priced, very rare Ferrari. The, the kind of, the, apparently a Ferrari that you can only get if you've owned several before. La Ferrari is what they call it, like the top, apparently. And, and Dan Rather said it was, I think he said intense. I forget the word, but he generally described it as something like intense. And that was my big moment. <laughs> That's when I knew that as much as I love serious news and politics, I was dead, which is why we have Dave Kinchin tonight, the other show. We have this one, Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin on the Dave Kinchin Network. We just, yeah, we'll call it a network. Why not? Um <laughs> that's when that's when I knew I was born to rock. Well, one of many times I knew. Um, but it's interesting seeing Dan Rather do these interviews too. Now with Paul Stanley, I'm I you know we sat down with him a few months back, and we talked about his second book. It wasn't out yet, and I, I see these guys don't just do interviews unless there's something to promote, right? So Kiss is doing the end of the road tour, their final tour, and that in and of itself would. I mean, you know, sit down with Dan. Anybody would sit down with Dan rather if they're a big star. I mean, you know, probably if they have something to promote or not. But but Paul Stanley happens to have his second book out or coming out at Backstage Pass. It talks about the ticket to the good life. You know, Paul's first book, um, you know, uh, Face the Music, um, which I cherish my signed copy. Um, You know, he signed it for me after the interview. What's interesting is, you know, that book was really, I thought he got into sort of some of that by just the anecdotal, you know, the sacrifices, the things he went through. But here, I imagine he's going to talk more about painting. And But he, he said to me in, in the interview, I asked him about it um, in October, and he said, it's, it's kind of a look at how he did what he did, you know. And so, and some quotes were pulled from that interview and posted on, what is it, Blabbermouth and some other, actually Kiss tweeted it out, which was pretty cool too. Um, sort of kind of thing even better than an autograph, you know. Um, but anyhow, I, get, I so I'm sure Paul's going to be talking about that. 
And I guarantee you he'll say something. That there's a clip where he's talking about his relationship with Gene Simmons. And I guarantee you, Paul Stanley will say something like, you know, um, you, you want to bet? Because Paul talks in these sound bites. He's, he's good at this. He knows. I mean, he's just so good at this. You know, he's been doing it forever, but he's better at this than a lot of other rock stars. That's the thing. He's great at interviews. So I guarantee you he will say, well, Gene is my brother, but we can never agree how you treat your brother. You want to bet? Do we have betting guidelines or uh, bylaws against betting on this show? I don't think we do. At least, nope. I, well, anyway, a figurative. Just go with me on this. So I guarantee you he will say that. And I, and I also bet you that he will say, um, you know, uh, Gene lives down the street from me, but I can see his ego from my house. I, how much you want to bet that's going to be in there? I bet you it'll be in there. <laughs> anyway, but Paul, he, he talks in these these sort of sound bites, and it's always interesting. So that'll be interesting to see. Also, we got some rock and roll news. Scott Stapp, uh, formerly of Creed. Remember Creed did an album, uh, Full Circle, I think. It was, it was pretty sure it was Full Circle. Um, gosh, was it inside of 10 years ago? It, 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 I don't think it was a decade ago quite. They had that really good song, um, Overcome, right? Um, it was they had some pretty heavy stuff on there, but anyway, because um, Tremani and 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 Marshall and and Phillips, all those guys are doing um, you know uh, Alter Bridge with Miles Kennedy, so you know because Alter Bridge is essentially Creed without Scott Stapp. So they did something way back when it was a good record. Then you know the guys went back to Alter Bridge and Scott Stapp went back to his solo career. So this is Scott Stapp's. Um, first solo record in six years it's called the space between the shadows it i was reading up on it apparently he talks about addiction and abandonment dealing with things like that there's a song where he talks about um a message to his son i think in there so that'll be interesting because remember he had a lot of stuff going on where he thought that the cia was programming him and we, stuff like that he was on an interview i want to say it was 2020 it was something like that and people were like, you know, he, he was kind of addressing all these things that were going on with them and talking about the addiction issues and all of that. So um, it'll be interesting. I, I always thought he had a great voice um, in and out of Creed. So it'll be interesting to, to hear this uh, first new record in six years, The Space Between the Shadows. Also, um, Queensryche's uh, Whip, they call him, Michael Wilton, guitarist, uh, one of two uh, original members left in the band with Eddie Jackson. We talked to Eddie. Uh, we played some of his interview on this podcast a, a few weeks back. We talked to him in March. Um, but um, uh, Michael Wilton uh, gave an interview and uh, to Guitar World and said, uh, you know, talked about how he rebuilt the band and how they moved on from Jeff Tate. He said, quote, we've rebuilt the band and more of our fans are seeing and hearing us. We lost our chemistry with Tate, talking about Jeff Tate, the singer they fired in 2012, and have moved on happily without him. When DeGarmo, he's talking about Chris DeGarmo, Chris DeGarmo who left the band in 97, um, left the band. Uh, we weren't writing as a band anymore. Now we are creating music as we did during our early days and firing on all cylinders. Now, the interesting thing about this is every, every Queensryche fan knows I've seen the band, well, five times, including Jeff Tate's version. But um, everybody knows that Jeff Tate and Chris DeGarmo were the creative forces in the band. Now, Eddie, I mean, uh, um, Michael Wilton wrote stuff, but everyone knows it was it was Tate DeGarmo. I mean, that was really the team, you know, the stuff on Empire, the stuff on Operation Mindcrime. Operation Mindcrime was Jeff Tate's idea. 
part of the lawsuit that they had, you know, they fired Jeff Tate. Jeff Tate sued saying, you know, I'm still a part of the Queensryche Corporation, essentially on the board of directors. You know, it's weird when bands have boards of, di- of directors. It's really weird, you know. I mean, you talk about corporate rock, and I, I'm not criticizing. I'm, I get it. You have to manage the affairs. It makes sense, but it's just, it, it's one of those, it's weird, but I don't know why it's weird. You know, but anyhow, um, boy, we're going long in the opening segment, aren't we? <laughs> Sorry, folks. <laughs> we'll keep the music playing. We'll we'll wrap this up in a second and get into the main segment, talking about bands that regrouped and reworked things in the '80s. Talking about Yes this time, so we'll get to that in a little bit. But everybody knows, like, you know, those two, Dugarmo and Tate, were the creative forces in the group. So it's great to see the other guys stepping up a little more. Drummer Scott Rockenfield is on hiatus, um, so it's really just Eddie Jackson and Michael Wilton as the founding, the the remaining founding members of the band. That said, listen, the verdict, the, the new record is amazing. I mean, it really is a great record, and so it's great that they've got, um, you know, they're they're all writing inside the band. They're not doing the outside writers, which, which they Jeff Tate even did when he was in the band, but he did, he brought in outside writers after Chris Dugarmo left, and so there was tension over that. Um, anyway, speaking of uh, Jeff Tate, uh, he told, he's in the news too, he told uh, Silver Tiger Media in Australia um, that he's actually not planning to work on any new music for for the foreseeable future. Uh, he's kind of taking the album on hi- uh, I'm kind of taking an album hiatus at the moment primarily because I'm just, I'm just dedicating myself to Avantasia. Uh, a touring schedule next year. That's this is like a a big rock opera project. It sounds like so. Anyway, some interesting stuff there. So Paul Stanley on the big interview. We'll have to do some highlights of that, or at least uh, talk about it um, on the next podcast. But we're going to be talking about yes, and um, uh, you know, as we continue our look at bands that reworked and regrouped and moved on in the eighties, uh, embracing the different sounds and different uh, corporate identity and things like that that is coming up you know you can rush me along a little bit if i'm you know taking a while in the opening segment right oh it was insightful that okay well fine okay well i i like that okay you think it's insightful all right okay well (laughs) we just keep the music running for so long in the opening segment you know it's a good it's a good number though so anyway uh moving on so we're talking about in the main segment now we're we're talking about those um transitions that bands made in the 80s so the style changed you had mtv the the you know the radio station formats changed a bit um you had a lot of i mean the 80s were the culmination for so many bands especially bands that started out in the 60s that played made it in the 70s the money sort of started a little bit in the 70s but then the money really picked up in the 80s as we all know the imagery uh the touring the non-stop touring album tour album tour album tour right so i've always loved kind of listening to bands there's certain groups i listen to and i i love kind of the transition from the 70s like van halen's one of them you know um or heart or in any of those groups 
Bruce Springsteen in the in the E Street Band. You know, you listen to the stuff from the '70s, has a grittier feel to it. The '80s, it's it's there's just a little bit more going on. There's more keyboards. The production's a lot better. The production even changed for for a lot of groups back in like 1980. You listen to Heaven and Hell from Black Sabbath. It has a a smoother texture to it uh, than say the stuff from the '70s. You know. And then you move you know, scorpions too. I mean, except for example, except I mean, there's stuff. Um, what was it, Princess of the Dawn, or um, that one song, or something like? You, know, you listen to their stuff in the '70s, and it was, it, it was very gritty. In the '80s, it still had chunky riffs, but the the guitars were more chorusy. I love that, you know. But for a lot of bands, now that was more on the hard rock side. A lot of bands from the hard rock or even progressive side in the '70s went straight pop in or very commercial pop in the 80s yes is one of those bands so and, and what was funny is you will get into what was kind of the corporate pressure to keep moving on as yes and and that kind of thing which apparently from what i've read upset some people in and around the group um so you go back to the 70s you go back to the yes album and fragile um it's really the hallmark of their progressive sound. You know, everybody knows, you know, Starship Trooper, a, a song that um, it's very progressive. You know, John Anderson has that signature voice. Everything uh, is is just, um, it has that kind of raw feel to it. You know, n not as much as like some of the other bands of that time. Um, but there is a, a kind of nakedness to the, the music, you know, Um you also didn't have some of the recording improvements in technology in the 80s, but uh, but we'll get to that in a little bit. I've seen all good people uh, from, you know, everybody knows those songs. And then on Roundabout from the album Fragile, and these are all from the early 70s, okay? So um, they had hits with, I've seen all good people, they, they had hits with Roundabout. Uh, I mean, Chris Squire, just outstanding on that on, on that record. Um, and really outstanding on everything, the late, great uh, Chris Squire. Uh, which is still kind of hard to believe he's gone, you know? I mean, he was such an incredible talent. So uh, they they continued on right through drama in 1980. Um, there was tension building in the band, drama literally building in the band. So in 1981, the band broke up, and the guys decided to do some other, you know, other things. Um and uh, a guy named uh, Trevor Rabin comes along, South African guy playing in a band called uh, Rabbit, uh, and they all get together and they form a group called Cinema, and they start writing. Uh, Tony uh, K, I think I've never heard his last name said. I believe it's K. Tony K, um, who was an original member of uh, Yes, also joined the group. So they're writing new material and and they're doing some you know different stuff, and then all of a sudden the record company says why don't you guys call yourself Yes? And just, you know, at this point, you're going into 1980, it's 82, go, you know, going into 83. Yes just broke up, and, you know, the idea of reforming a band, and Trevor is the new person who probably wasn't too thrilled at this idea of, wait a minute, I got into this band cinema, a new project. Now it's going to be yes. And it turns out that's what the band decided to do. They called it. Yes. Uh, so 
this really, you know, there was only a, a small window there between, you know, the breakup of the old band and this new band that comes in and they decide, you know, there's commercial value. It's kind of like the Pink Floyd thing. We were talking about that on the last show um, where some of the guys, it was reported and speculated that David Gilmore and Nick Mason, they felt that there was value in continuing on as Pink Floyd, even though the sound changed. And, and listen, artists will change their sound. They will change. They will get creative. That's what artists do. Um, but, you know, Roger Waters left the band in 85 and said, well, that's it. And, and he was doing the lion's share of, of the songwriting anyway. So after some solo albums that didn't really go so well for Gilmore and, and for uh, Roger Waters, what was the one? The pros and cons of hitchhiking. Those records did not do so well. So Gilmore says, well, you know, gee, why don't we just go on as Pink Floyd? You know, essentially, no, go on as Pink Floyd. Now, again, I'm glad they did because that's still an iconic part of their sound. It's an evolution. Music has to have evolution to it, even if there's commercial pressure. Um, at, the end, at the end of the day, the commercial pressure can be just the cost of doing business. Sometimes it gets a little weird. Black Sabbath, you know, with, you know, who's Ray Gillen? You know, who's, who's uh, uh, okay, Cozy Powell, wow, he's in that band too? You know, and it got a little bit different. Who's Tony Martin? And again, I, you know, I'm a fan of that, that stuff. But at the time, you know, the diehard fans were like, well, what's Headless Cross? You know, I remember I had a guy at work um, years ago. I brought in the album Headless Cross, which came out in like the late 80s, 89. And uh, Chris was his name. And he said, he said, what's that? That's a Black Sabbath record. He said, no, it's not. That's not a Black Sabbath record. I showed it to him. Uh, I remember showing it to him or telling him his mind was blown. I don't know why I had a Black Sabbath record um, on my desk at work. I guess I was telling people about it. And, you know, after work, I was going to go and play it on the way home, which I did. <laughs> kind of a weird thing to have in a newsroom. But anyway, um, so a lot of fans don't know that stuff. They don't know about, you know, those, you know, if a band keeps a name um, when the original, the, the time of their original identity kind of runs down and things change, audio music tastes change, the rock and roll tastes change. Um, it's risky keeping a name like that, keeping an iconic name. And often it comes from management and pressures with the record company. That's what happened with Black Sabbath. So Yes decides to do this, but arguably because they were such a progressive band, it was almost like early Genesis. There's not many, most people can't name a lot of early Genesis songs. You know, The Lamb, the Lamb Lies Down on Broadway or, you know, any of the stuff they were doing, uh, you know, Carpet Crawlers, uh, you know, Supper Time, right? Those early, like, that's, that's not the kind of stuff that would draw people in, into stadiums. You had to really like artistic rock. There were exceptions, but you had to really love artistic rock. Um, or progressive rock to get into that. But then all of a sudden, you know, it's the Genesis album, you know, in 83, it's, it's Invisible Touch, it's, it's, you know, We Can't Dance, and they're, they're having mega hit after mega hit after mega hit, not to mention Phil Collins and his pretty, pretty okay solo career. <laughs> Obviously very successful. Um, so it, it, it's um, not, you know, the, the idea is, and, and I think part of what these record companies were thinking, is you can have these bands 
from the 70s adopt to the 80s and modernize, even change their image like Hart, get rid of some guys, bring some other people in. You look at White Snake, you look at the stuff that changed there, you know. I mean, the, the, the 87 lineup did not play on the, you know, the 87 band uh, on the record did not, they're not the ones in the music videos. Everybody kind of knows that now. But the imagery, the music, that can, you know, inspire at the time millions of people to listen to the music as we'll get into the success Yes had in a second in the 80s. But it also can spark new interest in the old catalog. So whoever owned that at the time, you know, the record companies were certainly thrilled, probably thinking, hey, you know, we'll get some sales, we'll spike the sales of the old stuff too, maybe. So maybe that's what happened, you know, with Yes. There's evidence that, that you know, there was some um, motion in that happening. Uh, but 90125 comes out, 90125. Uh, in ni- 1983, and you know you have changes, which is a pretty big song, but obviously you have the huge one, "Owner of a Lonely Heart," and they still had some progressive elements, maybe with different sound effects in there. Maybe that's what's, but it's not progressive in that it was a nine-minute song, right? It's a radio-friendly. I don't know how. I mean, it, it couldn't have been any more than well it was a shorter song let's put it that way I, I don't know exactly how long it was but it was about it was radio size right and they have great success it's massively successful so i don't know how trevor raven was thinking at the time maybe you know maybe this isn't so bad being in yes because they had a massive hit now then they went on to big generator in 1987 and they toured for like a year or more on 90125 they toured for about a year, maybe a little longer on that. And then, uh, you know, there's that, okay, we got to really, you know, there's this pressure to have another big hit. So the album Big Generator, um, it had two singles uh, that did something on the charts, Rhythm of Love uh, and then Love Will Find a Way. Love Will Find a Way was really probably the biggest one on the on the record, at least the most recognizable, I think, Um it doesn't get as much radio airplay as any of the stuff from uh, 90125. Um, but they continued on with that pop-friendly direction. And, and, you know, and listen, you know, you're making money around the world and, and touring and life is good. So it worked for them. It, it, they were more successful in the 80s. You know, did they sell out? Some fans probably thought so. Um, but you definitely have creative expansion. So... What do we think about that? Do we like it? Do we not like it? Well, I like both records. I like the 80s stuff. I'm, I've always been a little more partial. It depends on the group. Um, some of Priest's stuff is much better in the 70s. Um, you know, uh, Aerosmith's stuff was bigger in the 80s. You know, kind of that rebirth after the whole uh, thing with Run DMC. Um, but then again, I like a little bit of everything. It's really more about what you as you as a fan like and, and what you as an individual like. Um, these days, when you think of yes, you think of owner of a lonely heart and you think of I've seen all good people. You think, you know, there's there's a balance of hits for them. There's definitely a balance of hits. Um, so, yes, for them, it worked out. So it, it worked out pretty well. Uh, even with the different lineup changes, too. Uh, so that's a look at Yes and how they did it. Um, 
We'll talk about Deep Purple next time. I was going to put them on the list, but uh, we're because uh, you guys didn't stop me in the opening segment, and we went ten minutes in there. Um, you know, we're just running a little bit. You know, we try to keep these down to about thirty minutes or so, uh, just because you know, it's almost in a, in a in a way, it's almost like a continuous show. You know, that's why we go Act One, Act Two, Act Three. It's almost like a continuous show. It's like a continuous stream of thought in rock and roll, right? The songwriting never stops. The touring never stops. The music never stops. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so a look at Yes, and uh, you can always tell me what you think. You can tweet me at Dave Kinchin USA. Uh, we do most of our action on for this show on Twitter. It's just easier, um, but uh, you can find me on Facebook, but at Dave Kinchin USA. No, I didn't forget. We're going to talk about Megadeth. We're going to talk about the album Risk. We're going to continue the segment uh, or the series on albums that um, were a little different for a, a major band, albums that received a lukewarm reception from fans or just didn't really work out quite the way they wanted them to. We're, we're still doing that. We can, See, what we do on Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin is we walk and we chew gum at the same time. We're a one-man band. Yeah, I'm I'm playing the drums with my foot, playing the guitar, and I'm I got the the, the stick, uh, you know, for the snare drum. I got the snare drum hoisted over my head, and I'm banging my. I get the 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 stick on my head, and I just lean my head back, and that's what hits the snare sound. You ever see guys do that? Okay, I'm not doing that literally, but you get the idea. I've always been amazed by guys who can do that. It's crazy. It's there's a guy I saw in Kansas City, um, bust or something. Uh, he's like a one man band now. He, he does that, you know, I don't know if he does that, but he's kind of like, well, anyway, you get the idea. It's pretty cool. Um, so, no, we're going to do that. We're going to get to that, but we're also going to continue our segment looking, you know, our series. Maybe we'll combine the two. Why not, right? We'll do a double album. How about that? A double, you know, we'll we'll talk about the, um, the albums that are a little awkward in the catalog of great bands, and then also uh, continue the look at... Uh, the reworking of groups in the 80s in the pop-friendly period and how that worked out. Some it worked out really well, some not so much. We make it up as we go along, but it's always focused on the music and focused on the fans. Absolutely. Oh, you know you know that. Come on. All right. I, I've got producers who are giving me a little bit more crap <laughs> than they usually do. <laughs> Yeah I, yeah, I know you can't. Yeah, you guys out there can't hear them. It's good you can't hear them. All right. Well, settle down back there, all right? <sighs> anyway. Um, so, yeah, good stuff about, yes, we're going to talk about Deep Purple, and we're going to talk about uh, Megadeth on, on the next one. Um, and I will not go for 10 minutes in the opening segment, um, so you're listening to the closing segment music. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it'll be the length of a regular uh, radio song. <laughs> Not something that got played over and over again, uh, but but that's part of the fun uh, when you keep on going here. We we love this show. We have a lot of fun. By the way, we've got some great fans and great listeners coming in from all over the globe. I mean, you know, we're looking at the just the feedback on the uh, the stats and great people in in Russia. We got Australia. That's the numbers are popping really well there. Um, the UK, the Pink Floyd show we did last time, doing really well, especially in the UK. Um, so uh, you know, we we really are rock of nations with dave kinchin we talk about rock all over the world and 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 that's what we want to do we want to rock you all around the world 
uh, to quote Judas Priest. The second time I referenced that. Anyway, uh, folks, it's late, at least for me, as far as taping the show. Um, uh, if you're like me, you're getting up early in the morning and heading into the office and uh, having another wonderful day uh, on the job. And uh, but, but this is what we do. That's a passion. This is kind of a job, too. It's our passion. We love putting music together and talking about or talking about great music here on the show. Um, by the way, Guitar World has some great interviews, too. I remember one with... Uh, well, I'll talk about this later. Um, I, I was reading the reading some quotes from the Michael Wilton Queensryche interview again. and Because and, uh, they mix in gear. They always talk a little bit about gear, too. You know, so... Uh, I'm, we, and, and that's something we need to talk... Not everybody who listens to the show is a musician, but um, we need to get into to gear talk, too, because, uh, you know, there's a lot of really cool technology out there. The effects are unbelievable. The stuff that, that artists are using... Uh, so we'll we'll probably do something on that too. Anyway, it is Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin. Um, you know, only two pieces of paper here, and we managed to talk about ten things, uh, and and we did it flawlessly. At least I believe we did. Um, keep on rocking, my friends. It's only rock and roll, but I need it. So do you, Rock of Nations with Dave Kinchin. We are on Twitter at Dave Kinchin USA. Talk to you soon, but well, I would say not too soon. But then again. I love doing this show, so I mean, we we might do like, who knows how many shows we'll do this week. Anyway, we're gonna, it'll be at least three, but lately we've been doing like five a week, and I love it. It's just so much fun. Uh, thank you for letting me have all that fun. We hope you're having fun too. Have a great day, and uh, uh, have a great rest of the week. But we are back uh, by midweek. <laughs>